You're listening to Business Stories with Ryan Arcarachi, where I speak to business professionals from all walks of life. Thanks for listening, and let's get to it. Good day, everybody. It's Ryan with Business Stories, and we're getting to be in that time of year where lawn care is something people really care about and are concerned about. And my most recent guest, Brian Clayton, who is the CEO of GreenPal, is involved in that business. So Brian, welcome. Thanks for being here. Hey, Ryan. Great to, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So first of all, before we get into GreenPal, tell us about your entrepreneurial journey uh, with this particular brand and this company. Yeah. So uh, like you said, I'm, I'm CEO, co-founder of an app and it's called GreenPal and it works like Uber, but for lawn mowing services. So if you're a homeowner and you need to get your lawn mowed rather than calling around on Craigslist or Yelp or Facebook, you just download GreenPal, pop your address in and you'll get hooked up with a good lawn mowing service you pay and schedule them right through the app and it just happens like clockwork every week for you and i guess you'd say green pal is a 10-year overnight success well my co-founders and i have been at this thing for a decade and uh, the first for you first few years were pretty tough but now we're nationwide in the united states doing several thousand transactions a day uh 300 users of the app uh, multiple eight figures a year in revenue and we self-funded the business from scratch. Uh, we, we didn't take on any outside capital and kind of grew it on its own revenues. And, and uh, so we're, we're doing well today, but it started off really, 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 really humbly and slow in the first four or five years. Um, and the idea came from my, my first company was actually a lawn mowing business. I, I started cutting grass in high school as a way to make extra cash and mm-hmm. uh, stuck with that little lawn mowing business. And over like a 15 year period of time, uh, I built one of the largest landscaping companies in the Southeast um, and eventually getting that business to over hundred employees, 10 million a year in revenue. And in 2013, that business was acquired by uh, one of the larger landscaping conglomerates in the United States. And then I, after that, I took some time off and then I thought, well, uh, an app needs to exist for what I just spent the last 15 years of my life doing. And how hard could it be? <laughs> and and uh, luckily right. it was naivete as an asset you know, got in there, recruited two co-founders and we just kept working on it and, and kind of got to where we are today by not giving up. Right. Right. So what, I mean, what did you learn on this journey? I, I work with a lot of service people. There, there are people that I work with that do cleaning, you know, roofing, painting. Uh, so people that uh, it's not landscaping, but, but it's similar. You're going to someone's home and you're doing a job or a project. Um, like what are some things you've learned for people that are up and coming in the industry that can help them grow because you've, you've done pretty well for yourself and you've really grown the business. What have you learned from that? It's, it's interesting. The landscaping business or a service-based business like home cleaning or roofing or pool service, you name it, um, right. can be a great way to cut your teeth on entrepreneurship and cut your teeth on business ownership and, and, and what it means to, to be a business owner and what it means to, to run a business and grow a business. And, and, I think we're, you know, we're never taught these things. We're never taught how to run a business. We're never taught what good customer service looks like. We're never taught what bookkeeping it should be. And you know, what, what, what things like culture and branding and strategy. And like, so we have to learn all these things as we go. And right. one of the things that's, that's made sense to me, 22 years of, of running my own businesses is, is that like the business is the thing that causes me to level up in life. It, I think if you're doing small business well, you as the founder should evolve into a completely new person every two or three years, because you're going to have to learn 
new skills, new, new, new acumen along the way to get to the next level of the game. And so for me, looking back, it's like I'm a completely different person today than when I started Green Pal and a completely different person than when I started my first landscaping company. And I like that about it. I like that about it. It's like the, the, the business is the vehicle that causes me to level up in life. It's the thing that causes me to take on new challenges that I never would have done. And, and running your own business can teach you not to believe your own BS. You know, yeah. let's say you go to school and you get bad grades in math and you get, you know, bad grades and, and geometry or whatever. And, and then you right. run a business and, and now you're forced to do things like statistical analysis and, and, yep. and things like projecting and forecasting and bookkeeping and all these things. And so you, it's like, it, it really causes you to man up and not believe your own BS and, and say, you know, I can learn these things. I can do these things. And that's one of the cool things I've, I've loved about it. One of the unlocks, I guess you could say that, uh, that I've learned in 20 years. Yeah. I agree totally. I think business really helps you develop as a person. So right. When that's my you, point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when you talk about Green Pal, um, obviously, you know, a lot of people, some of the people I work with in the service world, they're not exactly tech people. They don't, they don't necessarily like to be immersed in tech. They just, they really love what they do, but they're not super technically advanced sometimes. So how, how do you feel like you, how do you feel like you've, you've made that transition into also being a, a technology person and how has that adjustment gone, you know, over the years building this app? Cause that's building an app is, is a whole endeavor in itself. Right. So what was yeah, that like? A, it's a really good question. It's a good point. It's, it's one of the unique kind of perspectives I bring, I guess, to conversations like this. I'm one of the only guys that, you know, ran a lawnmower for, for, for a decade and, right. and, you know, can literally change a transmission in a truck with a wrench, but then yeah. sat down and taught himself how to write software. Right. And, and so it's like, I've seen it, I guess you could say from, from both sides of the table. And one of the things that I, I, I kind of observed as I was transitioning from a blue collar entrepreneur to a tech entrepreneur was all the ways that software could have made my previous life so much easier. Yeah. And so things around automation, better customer service, better bookkeeping, better financial planning, better operations management, just everything end to end that I was doing manually through pen and pad and just hand-to-hand -hand combat and yeah. managing like from a standpoint of organized chaos. Whereas if I had implemented software in key pieces of the business, it could have made my life a whole lot easier. And, 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 and also I could have ran a lot leaner. Um, you know, a lot of business people, a lot, I mean, a lot of, a lot of small businesses probably have too much fat in certain parts of the business, particularly in like the administrative uh, part of the business, you know, bookkeeping right. part, the data entry part, the, the bean counting part. And so these days, you know, software off the shelf at key parts of the business can help you automate these things and help you run a much leaner, tighter operation, more efficient operation. That's one of the things I, I kind of saw I was like, golly, I wish I'd known this kind of stuff when I was running my first business. I could have, I could have uh, done a whole lot more with, with less overhead and so on. So I think here's, here's my, my point but with, with all of this rambling. My, my, my point is that every business in the next five to 10 years will be a technology business. Right. And so if you're running a small business, it doesn't matter if it's a roofing company, a, a home remodeling business, a bakery, a hair salon you got to start thinking like a tech company first. You have to start thinking about how can I implement software and tech to improve my customer's experience? And it can be overwhelming. Just pick one piece of it. 
Right. Maybe, maybe let's say if, if you, uh, if, if you run a, a hair salon and you figure out a way to, to understand how to make the check-in process a whole lot simpler when somebody gets there and the amount of time they have to wait and, and, and how, you know, what their expectations are and how, you know, there's software that can help you with this, that one little piece of the customer experience, make right. that better. And then look at another piece of the business. And so I think as a founder, you have to be good at like running the business, but then you also have to work on yourself to understand and learn about what's out there in terms of tech. Cause if you don't, your competitors will, and, and you're going to be leaving money on the table or may not make it in five years. Right. Right. So you, I mean, you went from, you know, a small business building the tech side of it and then growing into something much, much bigger. Like if someone's in this growth mode right now and they want to get to a certain level, I mean, maybe part of it is technology, but what else do you, what else can you advise or help people understand to get to that, that level that's, you know, beyond being a small business, it's, it's growing into a, like a franchise or a franchisor and you're trying to expand. What, what's your advice in that area? Yeah, it's, it's really, it's all about scale and repeatability. What can you do and, and what can you like, I guess the motto is nail it, then scale it. So it doesn't matter if you have like a purely software-based business like mine yeah. uh, or, or like a franchise system, you know, that's what a franchise system is and does, right? And, or, or if you just, you ran a landscaping business like mine and, and you want to put it, you know, in multiple cities, you have to nail it and then scale it. And a lot of that comes down to processes, systems, software, and then putting people in those roles. And, and so, so many books that kind of helped me think, think through this and, and, and how I approach this sort of thing. Um, one is a book called Nail It, Then Scale It, which is a good book. Um, but another book is, is, uh, is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. I mean, such a simple book about what it means to build a business and work on the business and not in the business. And, mm -hmm. and you know, just going through the, the, the process of creating an org chart and, and understanding like, okay, well, it's just me and two people. I don't need an org chart. Well, the reality is, is no, you do. Like there's a head of operations. There's a head of research and development. There's a head of customer service. Yep. There is a, there's a head of uh, operations management. There's a head of bookkeeping, financial planning. It might be your name on all of these roles, yeah. but you need to go through the process of creating an org chart and the roles and goals for all of the different people you're going to need. And then you put your name on every single one of those roles. And then as time goes on, you start making a little bit of money, you, you, you begin to peel your name off and you begin to delegate these roles to either contractors, freelancers, or employees. And going through that organized process of building out the organization that way sets you up to where you can then duplicate it better uh, in a franchise system or in a multiple like operations, uh, like branch system, like what I had at my first company or just building out software. Like you, you have to have that kind of, that kind of, uh, I guess you could say foundation to understand what the hell it is you're doing. If not, then it's everybody doing the same thing. And then you're pissed off because nobody knows what they're supposed to be doing. And then you think it's a people problem when in fact it's an operations problem. So the E-Myth right. is, is, a, is a book that really probably needs to be revisited every year or two by every founder because it just reiterates and in in, beats into your head what it means to, to build a business and not just be self-employed, which is something that it's a trap that a lot of founders get caught up in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you there. Um, and one of the things I've noticed has been going on recently, and, and maybe you've experienced this, I know a lot of other people I've talked to have experienced this, is just 
the hiring issues going on right now recently. Are you facing any of those challenges or do you have any advice on hiring protocols or what you're doing that's working? It's, it's, it's harder than ever. Um, it's never been easy in the last 20 years. Hiring has always been a choke point. Um, you know, it's particularly in my first uh, contracting business, it was very labor intensive. And, and so we always had to compete for talent. I, I think one thing that, that, that can help founders and small business owners, and it, we don't necessarily look at it this way, but you have to look at your employees as customers. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, when, when you have a, a small business, you have a value proposition for your customer. And that value proposition for the customer goes a little something like this. If I'm your ideal prospect, why would I do business with you versus anybody else? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that question is, it always starts with the word because, because you have the best bakery on the block and you're three miles from, you're, you know, you're 300 feet from my house and I love the way your coffee tastes is not bitter, whatever. It's like, if I'm your ideal prospect, why would I do business with you versus anybody else? Mm-hmm. And it always starts off with because. And so that's the value proposition for your customer. Now, you also have a value proposition for your employees. If I'm your ideal prospect, meaning the ideal person who may want to work in your business, why would I work for you mm-hmm. versus anybody else or versus a side hustle or a side gig or drive for Uber or drive for DoorDash or, or you know, uh, become, go into the creator economy? It's not that you're competing with other companies these days. You're competing with other opportunities. And so if I'm your ideal prospect, why would I come work for your company versus anybody else? And it's because, and the answer of because is, it's not, we have, uh, we give out free uh, uh, uniforms. It's not, we have uh, weekends off. It's not, uh, we have matching 401k. It's not, um, we, we treat our people like family. Like those are table stakes. It is literally like tactically something that is better about your opportunity versus any other opportunity that, 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 that they, that they can, uh, that they can seek out. And so, I mean, it can all the way go all the way down to something tactical as let's say you have a roofing company and you're one of the only places that, that, a, that a felon can get a job. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's your value proposition. It's like, we have the best rehabilitation program for people, uh, getting out of, uh, out, of out of prison, uh, mm-hmm. to help get them back on their feet, get them a job, get them apartment, mentor them, guide them through. I don't know, like that is a structural competitive advantage that you have in the marketplace for talent. And, and not that that ports to other businesses, but you have to think in those terms. It's like, how am I better for a certain segment of people than anybody else for their options? And, and and it's hard. And the reality is a lot of founders just want to bitch and say, well, people are lazy these days and nobody wants to work. Yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, so are customers. And yeah. you have to think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say yours is like, if you're hiring or you're bringing people on, what, what do your employees say? Or what do your people say is a reason they stay? So for, for, in my first business, one of the, one of the things that we did was we offered an incentive program in which people could keep 40% of the amount of money that they brought in gross on a given week. And a lot of times what that meant was, that they just flat out made almost double what they could anywhere else, but they worked their butt off. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a, 
a dynamic, a structural difference in, in, in my business as a landscaping company versus other landscapers that were paying 10 and 15 or $20 an hour. Right. In my business, people could literally make 40 or $50 an hour. They would work really hard, but they, but they could keep uh, the, the, the fruit of their labor, I guess you could say. So that's how we kind of looked at it there. With GreenPal, we offer flexibility in terms of you can work. We have 42 people that work for the business. You can work from anywhere in the world. We don't micromanage you. We hire A players. We don't, we don't uh, cause you to do bean counting and check-ins and checkouts every day. We just manage by the results. And we almost don't even care how long you work in a week, so long as you get done with what you're supposed to do. And that attracts a certain type of individual that usually takes us about five swings at the plate to attract. Mm -hmm. But once we get them in place, we keep them forever. Mm -hmm. And, and at this stage of the game, when you're around 40 or 50 people, you can kind of manage it that way. Once you start getting into four and 500, you have to have some more of a, of a systemized process, but it works well for us right now. And so my point is like, if you're like, if you're like one or two or three people, you got to think about it differently versus when you're at 30 or 40 and then versus when you're at three or 400, these things kind of evolve, but for whatever stage of the game is, you have to mold your value proposition to people, uh, so where they, they, it's just a no brainer. They'll work for you versus competitors. Right. So with GreenPal, I just want to understand the structure of it. So if somebody is a landscaper, either independent individual or a business, they basically, they're connecting with you and you're vetting them, bringing them onto the platform. Is that how it typically works? That's correct. There's 23,000 uh, small landscaping services that use the platform to run their business. And okay. so much in, in the same orientation as like a DoorDasher would work on the DoorDash platform, an Uber driver would work on the Uber platform. We are oriented in a similar fashion as that. However, okay. uh, we don't treat the, uh, these users as subcontractors or as employees. They are users of the platform. They pay to use the platform. They pay a, a transactional fee for every transaction they do. And it helps them get all the business that they want, organize it uh, in, in one place, get paid within 24 hours for the work they do, and then have access to things like marketing automation that keep all of their customers engaged for them and keep them coming back to book ongoing services. And then also upselling, uh, helping them upsell adjacent services uh, like snow removal, gutter cleaning, pool service, fertilizing, things like that. So it's kind of like a business in a box for a small landscaping contractor to go from like five clients to a hundred clients in, in 12 months. And that's really why we do what we do. We, we really, 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 really love giving folks an opportunity to grow their business on top of our platform and kind of give them almost like access to, to the American dream. Really? Like we have so many stories of people, you know, who got, you know, hated their job and decided they wanted to like start their own, their own landscaping business. And we helped them go from like zero to 250 K in revenue in a year. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Hey, we've, you know, you guys helped me pay off my house or get out of student loan debt or buy a new lawnmower. So I don't have to like, you know, walk all day. Now I can ride or put a kid yeah. through college. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's great. Well, I love what you're doing. I love the innovation. So if people are interested in, you know, your uh, app and getting involved, if they're a landscaper or a service person, what's the best way to reach you or your team? Yeah. Anybody that, you know, listens to this in the United States that doesn't want to mow your own grass, just download GreenPal in the Play Store or the uh, Apple App Store. If you're thinking about getting into the lawn mowing business, you can just go to greenpal.com and scroll to the bottom and, and click to apply. And then anybody that wants to reach me personally, you can hit me up on Instagram, 
Brian M. Clayton. Just drop me a DM there. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Brian. I wish you all the continued success and let's definitely keep in touch. Awesome, Ryan. Thanks for having me on your show. No problem. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're interested in becoming an episode sponsor, please email me at livingryan at gmail.com. And thank you so much.